not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus, again, not coming to cheapen the law, but deepen the law. Jesus is not out of sync with the law and the prophets. He said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't come to abuse Jesus doesn't have them. I'm here to fulfill them. But what's he doing? Jesus doesn't have a problem with it is written. Do you remember that? It is written. No problem with it is written. And it certainly is written. Like it is, this is written. Verse 20. This is Exodus chapter 20. It's in your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is written. So Jesus is not coming to correct. It is written. Jesus has no problem with it is written. Do you remember chapter 4? Every time Satan tempts him, he responds and says, it is written. And then he quotes the Old Testament. It is written. And then he quotes the Old Testament. So here we have an Old Testament quotation. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with it is written. Jesus has a problem with y'all have heard it said. What's been said to you about what is written is the problem. Not, not, not what's written, but what's being said to you about how you ought to understand what is written. This is the problem. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the day, I've got a problem with the way they are saying these things to you. I have a problem with the way they are interpreting these things to you. No problem with it is written. But I'm just here to tell you, uh, the people who've made this thing about external, outwardly focused deal, I'm just here to say, not this, but that, they've kind of, sort of, completely altogether missed the point. So not this, not the way you've heard it said, but actually the way it is written. And here's what I say to you about the way it is written. Verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. I presume that we don't need a ton of explanation about the first part of that. When we think about, you've heard it was said, you shall not murder, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. The part that's being said and the part that actually is written, you shall not murder, I trust we get that. If you have any awareness of what's going on in Israel this week, any of the events from last weekend, if you've looked into that at all, if you've been told about that at all, if you've tracked any of that down at all, uh, if you've experienced that at all, you think about people being murdered, that just captured and tortured and taken hostage and you're aware about what's going on there, like that, dis- that ought to disturb you. So I'm just going to assume for a minute that does disturb you. You find that disturbing or like morally appalling. And I know that's true of you because you're made in the image of God. And because you're made in the image of God, you can't defy that reality about yourself. And you can't defy the moral consequences of that reality. So one of the things that happens to you when you look at people being murdered or captured and killed and tortured for, for sport, when you see that and you say that's kind of grotesque, I don't like that, I'm, I'm retracting from that, the image of God in you is responding to the fact that other image bearers of God are being treated like they're not image bearers of God. God's word says people created in his image, all people have inherent dignity and worth and value and ought to be treated with respect. And so when you see someone murdered or captured or killed or or tortured or brutalized, like what's happening in that moment is somebody who's worthy of respect is being treated as if they're not worthy of respect. Somebody who has dignity is being robbed of their dignity. Somebody who ought to be valued is being devalued. We are, we are valuing that person far less than God does. And when you see that happen, when you see blatant things like murder happen, you know that's wrong. It's not hard for you to understand. But the point that Jesus is, is trying to make this morning is that there's plenty of ways for you to do things like violate the image of God in someone without murdering them. 
So if you can violate the image of God in someone by murdering them, you're saying, I don't value you, I don't respect you, I don't think you're of any worth. You, you, you can commit that root sin in other ways. Like being angry enough to have ill will towards someone or by insulting someone, or by, by calling someone a fool. Jesus is saying, hey, this is, isn't different because when you are angry with someone or when you insult someone or when you call someone a fool, what you're doing is you're saying, I know God says you're worthy, but I don't feel that way right now. I know that God says I ought to treat you with respect, but right now I just don't really want to do that. I know that God says you have value. I don't think you have as much, nearly as much value as God does or nearly as much value as I do. So I'm fine to actually uh, sin against you by calling you a fool or by insulting you or by harboring anger towards you that God says I shouldn't have. I, like, I'm, I'm fine to do that. There's a huge challenge here, right? You've heard it said, but I say to you, if you play by the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, rules, they've looked at the law and the prophets and they've said, this is like a checklist. <laughs> this is like, if we can do these things and check these boxes, we're good. All we gotta do is manage not to murder someone. That's their interpretation of the law. And Jesus says, yeah, that's not my interpretation of the law. That's not the full sense of the law. The problem is, the root sin is that you would actually commit a sin against somebody by saying, I you for my own benefit or to prop my willing to do that. Or, or just hold a grudge against you to, for whatever reason. Like, I'm willing to do that. And Jesus says, yep, you can do that by murdering someone or by holding anger towards someone or by insulting someone or by calling someone a fool. The root sin is the same. It's not different. That's radical. That's radical. We don't think like that. Right. But Jesus' point is, it's not any different. You're violating the image of God in someone with any one of those sins. Why would we respond to this? Why do we have to take this so seriously? Why do we have to be so on guard against this? Because what we're doing when we do something like this, we murder someone or we hold anger towards someone or we would insult someone or call someone a fool, we're ignoring our relationship with God and their relationship with God. The text says they're a brother, right? It's how you're acting towards your brother. So you're looking at someone who Jesus come, who came and lived and died and rose again for and actually has called into a right relationship with himself. And then you are saying, I've got a problem with that person. I'm going to hold anger at that person or vent my anger at that person by insulting them or calling them a fool. You're devaluing someone who the Lord has ascribed ultimate value to. He sent his son to live and die and rise on their behalf and has called them into a relationship with himself. And you're saying, yeah, right now I don't care. I don't care that my Lord is also their Lord and that he will sort all of this out. I don't care about that. And so because I don't care about that, I'm gonna take the situation in my own hands. And why this is consistent with what we've seen all through Matthew 5 is what you're doing when you hold anger or you insult or you call someone a fool is you've ceased to live unto God. Your life is not aimed at God anymore. Your life's aimed at you. You're defending you. You're protecting you. You're trying to get vengeance for you. You're not worried about who God is and what God wants and how God, how God has called you to live at peace with him and at peace with one another. The root sin is the same. The root sin, this is Jesus' point, is the same. When you murder somebody or you harbor anger against somebody or you're willing to insult someone or call someone a fool, you've committed the same root sin all the way across the board. You've disrespected the image of God in that person. You've ignored the worth of God in that person. 
You've treated this person who deserves respect as if they don't deserve any respect. And Jesus says, same sin as if you murdered him. You're guilty of the same root sin. And so if you're guilty of the same root sin, then what can't surprise you, what ought not surprise you, is that the same root sin, the same root problem is met with the same punishment. I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Verse 21, that's the same, that's the same sentence, right, you expect to run into if you murder somebody. You're liable to judgment. Same thing as if you murdered somebody. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Council, the word here is Sanhedrin. This is the highest Jewish uh, authority group in the land. This is the place where you would expect, you would expect for murdering somebody to the hell of fire. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's pretty clear, hell. The punishment you would expect for someone who's a murderer. Hell, this is the first time hell has been used. In the Gospel of Matthew, let's take just a moment to clarify it. The word that's used here is the word Gehenna. We'll have plenty of time to clarify the way Jesus uses hell and the different ways Jesus speaks about hell. But this is our first use, so let's clarify it a little bit. Gehenna is a Greek word that's referring us back to a place called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is to the southwest of Jerusalem. It's a place where evil kings like Manasseh and Ahaz sacrificed uh, their children and let other child sacrifices uh, happen. And then there was a particularly good king who popped up named Josiah. And that particularly good king actually went out and desecrated that valley so that people would stop worshiping pagans there. And so in their desecration of that valley, they turned it into the city garbage dump. And when you start piling up garbage outside in a valley, like you gotta do something to keep it in check. And so what was done to keep the city garbage in check was they burned it continually. Like you had to always keep it on fire and you had to always be stoking in the fire so the stuff would continue to burn and break down and that you wouldn't be overrun with this waste. And so this is the picture that Jesus has given you of what the place of eternal torment is going to be like for folks who stop living unto God. For folks who would, have, who, who would murder someone or have anger in their heart towards someone or insult someone or call someone a fool, he says, you wanna know what that's gonna be like for you? Look out there at that valley. It's a pile of trash that we continually burn. The fire never stops burning. So if you like, don't think Jesus thinks this judgment is a big deal, like Jesus does think this judgment is a big deal. Jesus wants you to think this judgment is a big deal. So he's giving you a very clear, vivid picture of what he's talking about when he's talking about punishment. He's saying it's like that pile of trash that's on fire and it's gonna be on fire forever. Like you don't wanna go there. That's his point when he uses the word hell. And his, and his point here in saying not this but that is there's plenty of things besides murdering somebody will send you there. This is not a place reserved for murderers. It's a place reserved for anyone who refuses to live unto God and says, I'm gonna be my own Lord. I'm gonna do my own thing. I think there are certain areas of my life where I know best and I'm not gonna let God have lordship over me there. God doesn't get lordship over my anger. I'm gonna be vindictive. I'm gonna do things he tells me not to do. And Jesus says, if you do that, you go to hell. You're, 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 you're subject to the same punishment because you've committed the same sin. You've looked at another person who deserves respect and said, yeah, I'll disrespect them. You've looked at a person who has value and says, yeah, I don't value them. You've looked at a person who has worth and said, I don't, they're not that worthy to me, God. I'm gonna do my own thing. 
And so Jesus wants you to be very well aware that when we talk about who comes into judgment or who's going to endure hell, it's going to be people who refuse to live their life unto God, not just murderers. It's not just a place for people like, like who've done those things they've done. You've looked at people, but just be aware that you're guilty of doing some of the things they've done. You've looked at people worthy of respect. You've not respected them. You've looked at people who have value and you said they're not real valuable to me. And that's the same sin. And that's Jesus's point. This is a place for all people who refuse to live their lives unto God. Sounds pretty serious. It is serious. Anger is serious. This insulting each other is serious. This whole calling another one a fool thing is really serious, especially when it's happening towards our brothers. And so that's Jesus' next point. So me and you ought to squash the anger in us because the anger in us that would lead us to murder somebody or insult somebody or call somebody a fool, like it is not taking us anywhere good. So we better get that out. And if we really care about our brothers, we ought to do something else. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So radical point number one, Jesus, when he says not this, but that, radical point number one is You've got to squash the anger in your life because the anger in your life is a really big deal and it incurs really big consequences if you don't deal with it. Not good. If you will keep anger in your heart or vent that anger by murdering someone or insulting someone or calling someone a fool, you've committed the same sin and it's going to get the same punishment. Radical. Jesus has radical. It's not what the scribes and Pharisees are saying. Right. That's his point. Not. That's that's wrong. (laughs) It's not that. It's this. Radical point number two. You don't just have the responsibility to squash the anger in your life. You got the responsibility to squash the anger in your brother's life. If there's a chance that your brother has something against you, not even, it's not even saying this right, not even saying that you agree with it, not even saying that you see all of it, but like if you suspect that someone's got something against you, it's your responsibility to squash the anger in that person. Because that person That brother, the brother or sister, like the person who's in the family of the faith with you, who is holding anger against you, guess what? They're robbing God of his glory because of you. And so whose responsibility is it to do something about it? Jesus says, yours. You need to do something about this. Jesus, how urgent is that? Jesus, could you like help me figure out like how urgent and big of a deal that is? You did that with like the other thing in 21 and 22. So can you do that now? Like, can you show me how big of a problem this is for me to squash the anger in my brother's life? Sure. Hey, if you're offering your gift at the altar and while you're there, like that's going on, you remember that your brother has something against you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your gift there before the altar and just go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So here's a scene. You've brought your sacrifice to Jerusalem and you've taken it into the, the, the temple at Jerusalem and you brought it to the priest's altar, a place that you're not allowed to go and can reach. You're in the middle of the altar. You don't come here. It's experience where you've, you're in the temple at the altar. You don't come here hardly ever. And if you're there while you're in the middle of that worship experience and you realize that you think somebody's got something against you and you've wronged somebody, I want you to leave. Like, just go. Just get out of there. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then you can come back and deal with that. 
God is and always has been way, way, way more concerned with the disposition of our hearts and the unity that we have with one another than he is with us checking boxes or doing certain ceremonial things. It's not about the ritual. It's about our heart. It is and always has been. That's why Jesus is here correcting this. Not about checking the boxes. It's about living our lives unto God. And Jesus says what it looks like for you to live your life unto God is that you would urgently, you would urgently seek reconciliation with anyone who's got a grievance against you. If, somebody's, if somebody out there somewhere suspects you've done something wrong against them or is harboring anger in their heart because of something you've done to them, whether you think it's legit or not, it's your responsibility to fix it. You need to deal with it, and you need to deal with it right now. Like, you cannot wait. Thomas is radical. Can you clarify my responsibility? Sure, I can. I will clarify your responsibility. Here's your responsibility. If you suspect someone has something against you, or they're angry towards you, they're bitter towards you, or they think you've wronged them, your responsibility in that situation is to make repentance. And you say, well, I don't even know. I'm not even that clear. Great. So here's what you do in that situation. You look at that situation, and you do everything you can do to take ownership of it without lying to yourself or without lying to the other person. And in as much as you can take ownership, you, you seek repentance for that. And you seek to be restored for that. Go out of your way to seek reconciliation with a brother. You don't want someone to sin against God because of you. I'm not inviting you to be the world's doormat. I'm not telling you you got to go and beat yourself up about this to make yourself feel like you're just the most dirtiest, rotten person ever in the history of the world. I'm saying that you've got to do what you can do to take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. And in as much as you can take responsibility, you seek reconciliation for that by repenting of that. And you say, that's radical. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what the, what the world tells me or how the world instructs me. Of course it's not. Because we're in week three of looking at the fact that the world rejects Jesus' ethic. The world rejects everything about Jesus' ethic because Jesus' ethics have been derived from his theology. How he looks at God. He's factored God into his definition of the good life. He's factored God into the definition of what it looks like to be congratulated or praised or approved or blessed or happy. That all revolves around how I relate to God. And because the world doesn't do that, the world will never understand this. Thomas, the world says, in the world's eyes, you will call you a loser. We're not living any of your life unto God. That's okay. Let the world call you a loser. We're not living unto the world. We're living unto God. Well, this isn't a message for everyone. This isn't a message for the whole entire world. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so I just want to be really clear at this point. This is radical. This is challenging. Right, it is. We need to accept the radical nature of it. We need to accept the challenge of it. A lot of times we ignore sections like this or we come to sections like this and we try to blunt it and take the edges off of it. Don't do that. Let's just let it challenge us. Let's just let it stretch us. Let's just let it push us a little bit more toward guidance. Let's let it do all those things. Brothers and sisters, like we need to hear this. And when I say we, like I'm not this community's pastor. I'm not another church's somewhere's pastor. Like, I mean like me and you need to see this. We need to see that the Bible is calling us to this degree of putting to death the anger that we might have towards one another or putting to death the willingness that we might have towards one another to sin with our words. Like we gotta be 
on fire to deal with that in a very urgent manner. We just need to see that. And we don't just need to see it. We don't just need to read it in our Bibles. Like, if we're going to see it and read it in our Bibles, we got to do something about it. We gotta be willing to actually in our lives take it and apply it. I'm not trying to make you a Bible scholar. I'm trying to help you be a better Christian. I'm not trying to get this in your head. I'm trying to get it in your heart. So me and you would actually be a people who take Jesus at his word and say, oh, wow, I need to do something about this. We need this. This is for us. You want peace? You want unity? Yeah, you do. Do we wanna be a church at peace? Sure, we do. Do we like peace? Yeah, we do. Do we like stability? Yeah, we do. This is what it costs. This is how you get it. This is how you get Christian peace. This is how you get Christian unity. It's by taking one another so seriously that we will actually wrong ourselves, we'll actually, put our, we'll actually harm ourselves. We will go to the link to forgive someone at cost. Like if it costs us something, we'll still seek reconciliation. That's how you get Christian unity. That's how you get Christian peace. Now we'll clarify. Maybe it's not as... As glim as it looks, some of you are probably sitting there like, I'll, I'll never be able to do this. But here's, here you go. Just keep in mind, we're all supposed to do this together. This is being enacted in a community of faith. That like, you would actually do this together with your brothers and sisters. That we'd be a people who all want to do this towards each other. So it's not like we're isolated. It's not like I just do this by myself and I'm constantly having to lay down my life to make your life better. It's always me that loses. It's always you that wins in every single situation. But no, if we all do this together, guess what? We all have each other's backs. We're all willing to lay down our preferences for the good of the body. We're all willing to lay down what we want or the way we feel about things to say what's best for us. What's best for my brother? What's best for my sister? What's gonna help us grow in unity? What's gonna help us grow in peace? And hopefully you see that and you say, well, that's actually a lot better. I could probably do this whole like deep relationship, vulnerable thing, be with me. It's so if we do it well and when we do it. Picture when done well and it models the gospel to us and to the world when we do it well and when we do it rightly. So hopefully you see that and you say, yeah, you know, that really actually isn't all that bad. If we all love each other and we're all going to love each other to that extent, at that cost, that really would be a pretty pleasant experience, wouldn't it? But then you run into Jesus' most radical assertion of all this morning and it starts in verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Most radical. Why would that be the most radical? What's the deal here? Well, because you're now being commanded to do this, to seek this type of reconciliation or to be friend or to make friends with or make peace with your accuser. Your accuser is not your friend. Your accuser is your accuser. Your accuser is your enemy or your accuser is your opponent. Jesus is picturing this in like a judicial way. So this would be like a person who's bringing charges against you. They're the plaintiff, you're the defendant. And what Jesus has now called you to do is to seek peace, reconciliation, even to befriend that person. The radical nature of this is you don't have to wonder, like when you come to a situation, if that person wants reconciliation with you or if that person is gonna be eager to forgive you. They're not. They're literally trying to accuse you and press charges on you right now. And Jesus says, you do everything in your power to make it right. You do everything in your power to keep it from coming to that. You do everything you've got to do to get reconciliation with him. Whatever it takes. 
Why? Why would we do that? Why would we have even this type of ethic towards outsiders, towards somebody who there's clearly not a brother, right? Because you're going to go on to see in the Bible, like Christians don't do this type of thing to each other. Christians don't settle things in court with one another. They're not supposed to. And if you try to, I'm going to go on a limb and say, somebody ain't reading your Bible. This isn't a brother. This is an outsider. And you're even supposed to go to this length to be reconciled to somebody on the outside. Why? Two reasons. First, partly, Jesus is saying it's shrewd. Like if you're willing to actually engage in battle with someone or go to war with someone, this looks like a financial war here to me. That's what 26 seems to indicate. If you're willing to engage in that type of thing with somebody and see that through to its logical conclusion, one of the things you got to be prepared for is you could lose. Like when you go to battle, you could lose. So it just makes a lot of sense to if there's a way for you to avoid this thing and to settle out of court with this person, you should do that. Do it. Run into way less consequences that way if you'll do it this way. Seek peace with that person. Some of it's just shrewd advice. But I got to admit to you, I don't think that's all of it. I don't think that Jesus has been talking about spiritual things since the beginning of chapter 5, and now he's just taking a clean break here to tell you things like this is a good way to make decisions. Like it's just a prudent way to act. Like no saying when me or you neglect anyone, if we neglect it, we're in great danger. Any grievance against anyone, if we neglect it and don't do everything in our ability, everything in our power to make it right, we are in great danger. I think we got to interpret 25 and 26 in light of 21 and 22. Because in 21 and 22, Jesus is saying, hey, when we do things like this, we're, we're liable to punishment. Not like you lose in court punishment, like somebody goes to hell punishment. This is serious. We got to be serious about seeking reconciliation with anyone. If we've grieved somebody, if we've done something wrong against somebody, if we've committed sin against somebody, me and you have a responsibility to do something about it. At all costs, seek reconciliation over it. There's no room for this brand of vindictive anger in the Christian life. Nowhere. You can't do it. There's nothing in the Christian life that allows you to say, I will get mine. I will seek vengeance. I'm going to avenge myself. The Christian life doesn't do that. The Christian life is actually really well equipped to seek peace, even with people who don't want peace, because guess what? God's reconciled us to himself. So if we're a Christian, if we're like a Christ follower, if we're a disciple, which is what all of Matthew 5 has been about, what does it mean to be a disciple? Guess what Jesus did? Jesus did not look to himself or to his own interests, but he actually, at cost, sought reconciliation with a world who hated him. And it cost him his blood, and it cost him his life. And so guess what? You've got the ability to lose in the world's eyes because you're not living for the world. You're living unto God. And if we're going to live unto God like Jesus lived unto God, well, guess what? We will be able to be a people who lay down our lives to seek reconciliation with others, who do whatever it takes not to sin against another person, and when we do, to make that right and to to squash not only our anger, but their anger. We can do that. No no, no, No room for this brand of vindictive anger where we would try to make ourselves right or justify ourselves in our own eyes. But Thomas, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? We're going to see Jesus angry, right? Aren't we going to see Jesus, even in this gospel, like call people fools? We're going to see Jesus angry. 
Yes, I've, I've read Matthew 23 before, but we'll never see this brand of anger in Jesus' life. We will never see a brand of anger where he's out to defend himself. When Jesus is angry, Jesus is angry over things like hypocrisy and injustice and blasphemy, things that ought to provoke me and you as well. We'll never see this type of vindictive anger in Jesus' life. We will see a willingness to be wronged if that's what it takes to bring peace and unity and show care for others. Jesus certainly modeled that. And him modeling that makes this possible for us. This is why me and you can seek this kind of reconciliation with God. No, God initiates reconciliation. It's true. It's patently true. The reconciliation of us to him. There's, it's true. It's patently true of me and you and the people who are in this text called brothers that there was a time when me and you were dead in our trespasses and sin. We followed the course of this world. We did whatever we wanted to do. We lived unto the world and not unto God. But even while we were still sinners, what God did for us and desired to show his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent Jesus to live and to die in our place, to take our judgment that we rightfully earned from him and to give us Jesus' righteousness so that me and you might be reconciled to God. The fact that our sin has separated us from a God who hates our sin is fixed, and it's only fixed in Jesus. Me and you of all people are in a place to know that we can do this because God's actually done it towards us. So if we would be a Christ-following godly people, we'll have to do it to each other. We'll have to do it even to a world who hates us and rejects us as well. So dear Christian, don't seek vengeance. Seek reconciliation. You can have it. You can do it. Jesus has modeled everything that it takes for it to happen. It will cost you, but it is worth it. If you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you say, that's not me, I've never turned from my sin and put all of my trust in Christ, then the simple message that I have for, for you this morning is that you can settle out of court. You can be reconciled to God. Jesus has done everything necessary to establish that even with you. The way it stands right now, you are on a one-way collision course with the God of this world. You're headed for a time right now in this moment, the moment signs still delivered, there's coming a time where you will stand before God and you will have to give an account for your life. And I just want to let you know that if you plan on coming into that account giving time and you're planning on pointing to something that you've done or even a prayer that you've said or an aisle that you've walked or a preacher's hand you shook or a pool that you got dunked in or a list of good deeds that you think you can, you can bring to the table, you are not going to like the judgment that you receive. You are woefully inadequate to establish your own righteousness before a, a just and holy God who's created you and who's created the whole world and who owns you and everything else in it. But the good news for you this morning is that God hasn't left you there. God's actually sent his son to, again, live and die and rise on your behalf, in your place, for you, so that you might not have to give an account for yourself, but that Jesus would actually intercede for you. He would give an account for you, for you. Then when God looks at you, he wouldn't see all the sinful, wicked things you've done that have earned hell. He would see all that Jesus has done to conquer hell. And brothers and sisters, if that happens for you, we call that salvation. That is your reconciliation with God, not that you worked up, not that you sought out, but that he sought out with you. And he calls you, how you respond to that is to turn from your... You really and truly will understand 
that he's your greatest treasure. So brothers and sisters, if you've come here this morning trusting Christ, know that you, through Christ, have the power to seek reconciliation with anyone. If you've come here, dear friend, and you don't trust Christ, I encourage you to settle out of court. I can't make you. All I can do is warn you that that day is coming, and if you're planning on pointing to you, you're not going to be happy. Would you pray with me? Lord, again, we need uh, your help, even right now, applying this word to our lives and to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would hear it and that we wouldn't try to take the edges off of it, but Lord, that we'd be a people real serious, real, real serious about squashing anger and insults in us, and then we would do everything possible to squash anger and insult that we may have put on our brother or our sister. And Lord, not only that, but that we'd be a people who want to seek reconciliation with everyone we possibly can. Lord, make us a peaceful people, make us a unified people, we're not asking to be doormats, but we're asking to be a people who live in faithfulness to you. Lord, for any who've come here this morning and don't know uh, that reconciling power that you have sent for us, that you have delivered us from your own wrath towards our sin through your beloved son as he lived and died and rose for us so that we would have peace with you, so that we could settle out of court with you right now, Lord, I pray that you would make that reality real in the hearts and minds of, of those who hear They have never trusted Christ. Lord, reveal the Lord Jesus to them as only you can. May you be glorified in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to have a brief hymn response. Uh, I'll be in the front if you would like to come pray with me or talk to me about anything.